thank you for joining us. Whether you're watching on video or listening on, on our podcast show, we are always excited to share important information with you. I'm Jill Bloom, publisher of Roofing Contractor, Walls and Ceilings, and Building Enclosure. I'm here today with RC editor, Art Eisner, and Rick D'Amato, our editorial director, and our legal insight expert, Trent Cotney, the CEO of Cotney Attorneys and Consultants. Trent, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jill, Rick, and Art. It's always great to be here. We got a lot of great things to talk about today. Some breaking news that I'll be able to, to fill our listeners in on. So really looking forward to today's conversations. Yes, we're always, we definitely always love spending time with you, Trent. But before we do, I want to take a minute and just reflect on the last 14 months because what we sur- we've kind of flew back, flew flew back, flew past that one year mark of uh, shooting these Legal Insight videos with you. So in the past 14 months, we've recorded almost 50 videos with thousands of views. I mean, we've kicked off our first video on March 19th, 2020. Can you believe it's been that long? I can. It seems like it was yesterday. We really, I know it was, but it seems like it for sure. We really had no idea what we were embarking on, but with your legal expertise, Trent, and insight, everyone has been able to navigate all these COVID issues and all the uh, the PP, the loans, everything's been going on just a little bit better. So thank you again for everything that you've offered the industry over the last year. Absolutely. And you know, the, the great thing about this is it's just us talking, right? This is a great conversation between all of us. And, you know, we get to touch on the, the issues that are affecting the industry. And I think I know our listeners are gaining a lot from it because I'm getting positive feedback from it as well. So, you know, just really honored and, and pleased to be here for you guys for, uh, you know, Roofing Contractor Magazine, Walls and Ceilings, uh, and just continue to discuss issues as they happen. So. Yes. Well, well, let's get started because the IRS recently <laughs> provided some details of the tax credits available under the American Rescue Plan to help small businesses. So can you tell us about that and what do contractors need to know? Sure. So uh, it was very interesting because when this stimulus act came out, um, you know, under the Biden administration, there were a lot of things in there that uh, ended up being beneficial for the construction industry, but nothing that really had that punch like, you know, the, the past stimulus plan. So what you have to kind of do is, is parse through it and figure out what is what are the good things and what are the bad things. So some of the good stuff is from a tax standpoint, you can obtain additional tax credits or uh, COVID-19 time off for your employees, and they extended that through September 30th of 2021. So that's a good thing because a lot of times you still have employees that are taking time off, you know, whether it's because they have COVID-19 or they're getting tested or whatever it might be. So it is possible that you might be able to receive tax credits as a result of that. Um, You know, what's really interesting is when you start thinking about kind of where we're moving and where we're going in, in this world of vaccines, how that kind of interplays with, you know, some of the things that are coming up. So, you know, overall, the uh, the American Rescue Plan Act, there was, there was uh, a lot of money spent on it, a lot of, you know, distributions and other things that came out through that. But if you really start reading the fine print, there are a lot of benefits. And, and look, I don't care if it's money or tax credit, either way, it's money, right? So that was, that was my take on it. I think it's a good thing for employers. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, specifically regarding the vaccines, there was a clause in there re- related to vaccinations and, and paid leave. Uh, so does that mean also that, that there's an opportunity for uh, you know the contractors that do want those vaccinations uh, 
their employers can get a break uh, can get a break specifically on that in addition to actually having uh, you know COVID symptoms or having you know uh, uh, having the disease. Yeah, absolutely. So what was interesting, Art, is uh, the COVID-19 related vaccinations. Uh, not only can you, can you potentially obtain tax credits um, for getting those vaccines, but when you start thinking about tying it in with a voluntary incentive plan, it's possible that you can offer paid time off, but then still be able to get tax credits on the back end. Obviously, you know, talk to your tax professionals. And it's interesting, you know, on the, on the subject of vaccinations, just today, literally just a couple hours ago, the CDC came out with revised guidance on vaccinations. Okay, some big news that I want to pass on to the listeners, okay? Here are just a handful of things. Again, this is hot off the press. I could, I could still feel the heat coming off the printer right here. Um, fully vaccinated people no longer have to wear a mask outdoors, according to the CDC, okay? except if there are certain crowded settings or venues that are set by private individuals, right? Um, clarification that fully vaccinated workers no longer need to be restricted from work uh, if they've been exposed, provided they're asymptomatic, okay? So that's a big thing, okay? Uh, there's some specific stuff with regard to non-healthcare congregate settings and quarantines, but basically if I had to cut through it, a lot of the restrictions that you would normally see are starting to disappear for those that are vaccinated. I had a very interesting question today. The question came from a contractor and it said, if I have all of my employees vaccinated, do I still need to have wear masks? You know, what's the guidance on that? Well, the answer is no, you don't. I mean, what the CDC says is if you've got proof of vaccination from every single employee that works in an office and assuming that they got the second dose, if it's, you know, Pfizer or Moderna or the first dose from Johnson & Johnson, and at least two weeks have passed from that, you're good to go. Okay. So this is what I want the listeners to pay attention to. This, this has been a moving, you know, ball from the time this thing has started. We talked about the 45, 50 videos that we've done. There's been probably that many CDC changes in the, in the, in the time that we've done it. So one of the things that you can expect is you're going to see more and more benefits coming out of being vaccinated. Okay. More, less and less restrictions, more and more benefits, regardless of whether it's travel, whether it's in the workplace. And, you know, it is, it's going to be the kind of thing where if you're not getting vaccinated, you're going to be in a bad position uh, because you're probably still going to have to wear a mask. You're still going to have to do a lot of these other things that need to be done. So very interesting guidance. This is kind of what we've been talking about for a few months now. I expect to anticipate that uh, as we move forward, we're going to anticipate seeing this. And here's something else that I want to mention to you, Art, is that because we're starting to flatline on new people wanting to get the vaccines, I anticipate that there's going to be an, an additional incentives created through things like this to get people to go out and get the vaccine. We're, we're starting to trail off in the number of vaccines that, are people, that people are getting. So uh, very interesting. And this is some positive news, especially for you know, um, those that have been vaccinated. Uh, a lot to unpack there, Trent. Uh, I think first off, if uh, do you think that these incentives will work and get more people, particularly contractors who you know who we've reported uh, have from the onset looked a little reluctant uh, toward vaccination? 
Yeah, you know, and, and look, it, it's a complex topic. I get that, you know, and I understand that there's politics, there's personal feelings. You know, we talked about some people may have, you know, uh, religious or medical reasons why not to. And I understand all that. Um, for me personally, uh, I looked at it from the standpoint of I've got to get on the road again. Right. And, you know, I will take all the precautions necessary. But if I'm in a crowded place or a venue or a, a um, uh, an airplane or out eating dinner, I don't want you want to have to think about it. Right. And right now it pops in my head every single time. Even if I don't want it to, if I'm sitting in a restaurant or, you know, a contractor goes to shake my hand, I'm immediately thinking, COVID, 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 you know, but tomorrow I'll have my second shot. And then after that, that, that hesitancy kind of goes away, right? So that, that was my personal thought on it. I do think that these, these types of incentives, it'll get to a point where I think it's going to cut, a, I think it will change the minds of some just because of the hassle. And if you can eliminate some of that, but I still think you're going to have a large percentage of the population that, that is not going to get it, you know? And for me, the, I just didn't, I just looked at it as, look, I, I got to get on the road again. I'm not, I'm just going to get it. That's how I looked at it. So Trent, since this is guidance and not necessarily a you know mandate or regulation, well, will this news from the CDC, will that supersede places where there are mass mandates in place or uh, you know stronger restrictions? So it's interesting. There's a lot of states out there that have taken very restrictive. Um, Florida doesn't believe in COVID-19. I'm joking, but you know, we, we've been wide open forever. Um, so there are other states that have been incredibly restricted. Um, what this, I think most of the states are following the CDC guidance. Now, just like with OSHA, there are state plans that can be more restrictive than what the federal standard is. So for some reason, a state or local government believes that there should be additional restrictions in place, regardless of what the guidance is, they can do that, okay? I think it'll be subject to challenge because ultimately I think a lot of people are fed up with some of the, the more restrictive, um, uh, you know, crowd gathering and mass wearing and those types of things that are out there. Um, but, but yeah, the, you will see more of this guidance come out. Absolutely. There is going to be more and more, you know, guess what? Vaccinated people can do this and that, because I think ultimately what they want to do is, is help push people in that direction. Uh, all right, definitely big news there, Trent. Thank you for sharing. I'm going to turn things over to Rick. Thanks, Trent. Always good to see you. Thanks for being here. I'm here, my man. Thanks to our listeners and viewers uh, for joining us today. You've been pretty active on social media recently, uh, uh, tweeting about the recent news GAF uh, threw out there about their uh, uh, making shingles with uh, post-consumer or post-manufactured uh, goods up 15%. Um, and I'm going to ask you also about, we, we spoke a few weeks ago about the shingle recycling business and all, so I'm going to set that aside for right in a second, but uh, tell me what you think about the, uh, uh, about the GAF news and, and what does it mean for the industry? So I, I, was, I was really surprised to see it and was very happy that uh, they had taken that initiative. You know, it, it, um, I've worked closely with GAF on a lot of things. You know, their, their training academy, their care program does a fantastic job. I've worked with Eric Asuna and Mac and some of those other people over there. Great group. And really what, what I was excited about was this was a nut that people have been trying to crack for a very long time. Um, Rick, I know you and I've talked about it in previous you know, conversations. 
And uh, I, I like the fact that, that not only did they put $100 million towards it, but um, I think ultimately it's great to see a leader of the industry really get out ahead of it. And instead of, of you know, continuing to go down the path of just throwing the stuff in the dumpster on the side of the road or wherever it ends up, we actually try to recycle a large percentage of it. And you know, ultimately, I, I knew at some point that technology would get to a place where we could start recovering that. And I think it's become a necessity because um, you know, as asphalt becomes more and more difficult to source for a lot of the asphalt-based products that we need for roofing, uh, there's a necessity requirement as well. So very excited to see that uh, GAF took on this. Obviously, they're you know, a, a leader in a lot of the, the shingle market, so it was great to see it. And uh, overall, I think it, it fits perfectly with sort of what my message was, was now's the time to look at uh, renewable, sustainable energy recycling. All that stuff is going to be big in 2021 and beyond. Well, obviously, it all ties together in for shingle recycling even. It's always been the stopper. That's there's just no no product uh, to do anything with it. So uh, I'm praying that it works out well because it's going to make the difference in a in an asphalt roofing uh, manufacturing business being sustainable. Uh, right. We're we're seeing we're seeing even cities uh, like in Boulder they're they're going to start requiring the, the high impact shingles as a minimum standard because they're seeing so many hailstorms throw so much uh, old roofing in the landfills. And uh, of course we had that uh, Shingle Mountain report a few weeks back in, in Denver and some other cities, Dallas. Um, <clears throat> what do you think the legal, and, and that, there's just more noise and would you think that there's more concerns from a legal standpoint for contractors dealing with their trash, dealing with uh, old shingles? Absolutely. And, you know, we represent roofing contractors, um, throughout the U.S. and both state, local, and federal investigations involving dumping uh, roofing-related materials inadvertently that contained asbestos in it. And, you know, that, that is, is my concern is when you see a mountain of shingles there, you know, is it possible that there's asbestos? And you're, you're always going to end up finding some of this somewhere and all it takes is, is a test to really get you in some significant trouble. So the other issue is, is that as these, these mountains pile up, and there's, you know, there was one in Dallas in particular that was very, very large, um, if it's not watered down, if it's not properly maintained, that stuff becomes brittle, stuff gets in the air, it is toxic, you know, you don't want to be breathing that kind of stuff, and it creates just a very, uh, you know, uh, negative impact on the environment, not only from an air quality standpoint, but from, you know, visibility standpoint and, and the potential other toxins that may leach out. So there is liability there from an environmental standpoint. And um, I think that as local governments um, start to really take a look at it, I think you're going to see more and more restrictions on where it can be dumped and the price for it to be dumped. So that will probably be in combination with both federal guidelines that may change. I, I don't think it's going to happen necessarily this year, but I, I do anticipate that under the Biden administration, you may see more robust uh, dumping and recycling guidelines for some of these materials. Um, but definitely on a local front, I've already seen it. I've already seen heightened restrictions, heightened cost, um, you know, the, a lot of different things that are done that, that can potentially affect 
the shingle market and other um, you know, markets that involve asphaltic-based products. And I think that's going to lead into the work that GAF is doing. They're, they're going to do, they, they know asbestos and they know <clears throat> asphalt and the rest of our products. And they're, they're going to manage that in that recycling process, which that's Absolutely. one of the things that's encouraging to me is that it's, um, it's, it's going to be somewhat, the process will be somewhat institutionalized. Uh, and I wish them success on that. Um, <clears throat> and when you say asbestos, I think a lot of young folks in the business now don't, They've never seen an asbestos-containing roofing product. Well, I, I graduated from running a branch of a wholesale roofing supply in 1995 and moved on to other things. And we were still pulling in truckloads of asbestos-containing roof cement in 1995. Those roofs are being pulled off today mm -hmm. uh, and will be for some time. And it may just be a little bit of asbestos, but as you know, um, a good lawyer can find asbestos. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's a naturally occurring substance and it was, it, you couldn't touch anything in construction without having asbestos into it, you know, as you said, up in just 30 years ago. Yeah. So um, that is the big concern is, is I know how easy it is to pop on one of those tests and uh, it, it catches a lot of contractors off guard. Um, so there is, there is some significant liability there. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that's why I was excited to see uh, a manufacturer like JF really take the lead on it. And I, I do think that, uh, you know, that through their uh, plan, they will be able to figure out a way to make sure that uh, there's SOPs in place to, to properly recycle it and do it in a safe and effective manner. Art, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask Trent about the PRO Act. Could you give us just a quick update on, on PRO Act, uh, Trent? It's certainly in the news. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the PRO Act, for the listeners that don't know, is a, um, an act that involves a, an initiative to uh, increase a, a lot of the things that unions can do, um, you know, as far as uh, being able to reach out to additional employees, um, restrict some of the collective bargaining timelines. Uh, there are pros and cons to it. You know, it depends on, on what side of the fence you're on. Uh, but it's been a very contentious act and it continues to gain some support. So recently, uh, there's been a push, I believe rough, they had 46 um, senators that were four, one more, I believe, signed on. They still need a handful of others to get it to a vote on the floor, but that doesn't necessarily win the day. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it is a very contentious act. And although the House has passed it, you know, I do expect to see some additional uh, wrangling on it from a construction standpoint, um, you know, and, and clearly I, I represent contractors, you know, both union and non-union contractors. Um, you know, my concern is is um, some of the verbiage in there that deals with how to classify those that work for you. And what's interesting, these acts are never as simple as as their catchy slogans. You know, the the American Rescue Plan Act. You know, great great slogan, but there's 50 different things in there that have nothing to do with the title, right? So with the PRO Act, one of the things that concerns me is, is they are changing how you go about um, looking at classification of your 1099s and subcontractors. And they are changing the test that you use to determine that. That causes me some concern as from a lawyer standpoint, because the test becomes a little bit more restrictive 
And anytime that happens, you know, I would rather have that be vetted through a normal process than through the PRO Act and have it kind of in a, a, a union type act, uh, meaning that I would rather have that go through normal rulemaking and the Department of Labor and see where it goes so that um, instead of discussing it from a union standpoint, we're discussing it on the broader spectrum of how it affects employers. Um, but that is, that's the one component that causes me the most concern uh, because it is a more restrictive analysis of how you determine if someone is, is truly independent from you or an employer. Obviously, I, you know, I could speak on it for at least an hour. It is a very robust uh, conversation. I have had very interesting conversations with a variety of people in the industry about it. I understand and appreciate both sides. I get it. I have great relationships with unions, union contractors, non-union contractors. I try to be everybody's friend, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, I think there's some things in there that, that cause me some concern. Understood. Art, I think you have a few questions on some recent news. You bet. Uh, yeah, Trent, that will definitely be a topic uh, we'll be sure to uh, continue to follow. Uh, much like supply line uh, is a recurring theme in, uh, in some of our discussions, the NRCA just issued a, uh, or recently issued an action alert on the supply chain uh, and, pretty, and delivered some pretty frank news uh, talking about the, uh, you know, this unprecedented disruption we're in. Uh, tell us, you know, your take, what are you hearing, uh, you know, from contractors and the associations too that you're dealing with? Right. We've been signaling this for months. I mean, we've, we've talked about it. Um, we actually have a, a webinar that we are doing here in house, um, on Thursday, April 29th, uh, at 11 AM. We've got over 300 people signed up for it already. And what we're going to do in that webinar is really talk about everything from price increases material shortage, John Kenny and I are doing it. So you're going to get both the business and the legal side of it. Um, we have heard, uh, to echo what NRCA has said, we have heard the same thing from manufacturers and suppliers. Um, I, my concern is, is that we've already seen a lot of different shortages in key roofing materials. So we've had, you know, everything from plywood to fasteners to plates uh, ISO and membranes are, we're seeing backlog on that, adhesive sealants, uh, a lot of different things that require petroleum that were affected by the, uh, the Texas refinery shutdowns. Um, but there is a perfect storm coming and that is the storm season. Uh, so the storm season is what really concerns me. And we are, are like I said, I've, I've said this line a million times. I don't believe in stats. I don't believe in the news. I believe in the phone or the email. You know, I know if contractors are emailing me with concerns, then it's a problem. And I can tell you that, that the phone and the emails are, are coming in hot and heavy from contractors all over the United States that are having prices suddenly change on them, notification of price increases by more than 50%, uh, inability to obtain materials for you know, four-week lead times or more um, and it has created a real crisis because demand is strong. Uh, labor is where it is, but you can't get the materials to do the work. And you combine that with the fact that we've got, we're right in the middle of tornado and hail season, about to get into hurricane season. You know, I'm thinking it's going to be third quarter or fourth quarter before you start seeing some stabilization, but you can absolutely expect price increases and longer lead times. 
Okay, uh, let's everybody hold on. Uh, in other news, uh, you recently uh, wrote a column on roofingcontractor.com uh, breaking down the insurance reform legislation that's uh, currently being considered in your home state of Florida. Uh, tell us uh, why should contractors pay attention to that, uh, especially if they're not in the Sunshine State? So very contentious legislation. You know, it, it is, uh, Florida is unlike a lot of other states uh, in that there is heightened regulation here. Um, there is obviously there's licensure, there's uh, the Florida Building Code, there is the, um, you know, a lot of different things that need to be done uh, from NOAs to, you know, high velocity hurricane zone codes and all kinds of other things, right? Um, so there tends to be uh, a special attention paid to in the insurance and restoration storm industry. And both of these bills, uh, Senate Bill 76 and House Bill 305, uh, came out and originally there's, there, they were designed as companion bills. They subsequently changed. But just to give the listeners an idea, Senate Bill 76, what it does is it, it uh, provides that the coverage for a roof under insurance is 10 years and then fades out after that. Okay. Now, I know and you know, even in the state of Florida, you can get more out of 10 years on an average shingle roof or metal roof or tile roof or whatever it is, okay? So uh, that causes some concern, obviously, from contractors that are, are looking for insurance to possibly get paid and from a homeowner's perspective, right? And there's, there, is, there are contentious bills because you have the retail side of roofing and the insurance side of roofing. Sometimes they don't necessarily, disagree, they don't necessarily agree with everything. So very contentious, okay? Uh, there's been some subsequent revisions to that, uh, and right now it does not have the House Companion, and this week they need to figure out what they're going to do before session ends, so it may die on the vine, don't know. House Bill 305 is interesting because it went from being a companion bill to trying to restrict some of the things that uh, the uh, restoration and insurance contractors do, so solicitation door-to-door, -door, restricting uh, some of the other ways that they negotiate and, and discuss things with homeowners. Uh, we have already learned that there, there is going to be a legal challenge to that bill if it is passed. Um, again, very contentious. Even within the industry, it's contentious. Hmm. But the message to the listeners is, if this is happening in our state, state of Florida, uh, you can expect that other states are watching, especially states that have a lot of hail damage and storm damage, and they are going to imitate, if not replicate, exactly what is happening here in Florida. So stay tuned. Obviously, we will, we will update uh, you know, Roofing Contractor Magazine and, and uh, the industry when we know the final outcome of it. Uh, but it is, we have spent a lot of time trying to track this and make sure that we're on it, both from a legal standpoint and a lobbying standpoint. Even if it does... Uh, uh, uh die in uh, where it's at in Florida, is there the broader message is that uh, the insurance industry, you know, this is something that they're lobbying for, and this is something that uh, one way or the other, uh, they're going to continue to keep pushing for in some, you know, whether it, whether successful in Florida or in other states, right? I mean, this, this will be a battle contractors are going to have to face. Yeah, and it's, it's the kind of thing where you can expect to see it again next year. Okay, and it might have a slightly different iteration on it. You know, there might be uh, there might be a more concerted effort to address some of the issues that they had this year to get it passed next year. Um, 
you may see policy changes. You know, that may be a way. But I think it's gotten to the point where the insurance industry is definitely looking on how to mitigate um, losses as a result of storm damage. Um, that is one thing that I know is going to be a top priority. So regardless of whether they do it through legislation, through changes in policy, or through legislation that, you know, Rick mentioned that requires, you know, high impact shingles, things like that, where do you think that that came from, right? So um, it's, they're definitely working on it. It's something that uh, if you are in, if you are in storm or restoration work, you want to make sure that you're paying attention to it because it is, it's going to happen here in the next few years, at least here in the state of Florida. All right. Thank you, Trent. Jill, back to you. Yes. Well, Trent, thank you so much again for your time today. It's always great to get the updates and insights right, right from you. Thank you so much. I, hey, I feel like I'm just talking to my friends right now. So this is that I enjoy talking to you every, every other week. And uh, obviously, you know, you guys will hear the news first. If we got anything, we'll get it to you. And we are your friends because we consider you our friend as well. So if anybody has any questions and they want to reach out to Trent, make sure you reach out to cottonycl.com. If you have any questions for us, you can reach us at roofingcontractor.com or wconline.com. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our free e-magazine, our free e-newsletters, register for our websites. You can always stay up to date and get notifications when we post our most recent interviews with Trent. And everybody, please stay safe and healthy, and we look forward to seeing you next time.